Nobody knew that healthcare could be so complicated. You know, healthcare is complicated because our healthcare system is so complex. Healthcare is complicated stuff. But nobody knew. Nobody knew. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Remember that guy? I, I remember got him. the feeling that something right. Yep. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, and 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest in China Lake, California. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI. In Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN 94.1 FM. Palinville, New York's 102.9 FM WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast-to-coast and around the globe every day of the week on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth, five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Axios is reporting today, uh, I'll just read from their uh, from their lead item here, Republican leaders are coming to the bleak conclusion that they will end summer and begin the fall with zero significant legislative accomplishments. Privately, they realize it's political malpractice to blow at least the first nine months of all Republican rule, but also realize that there's little they can do to avoid the dismal outcome. In fact, they see the next four months as more troublesome than the first four months. They're facing terrible budget choices and headlines, the painful effort to rework the healthcare Rubik's Cube in the House, presuming it makes it out of the Senate, a series of special election scares or losses, all with scandal mania as the backdrop. Well, that sounds about right, doesn't it, Desi Doyen? Well, you know, the idea <laughs> the, that Republicans can't get anything done, you say that lot like that's a bad thing. <laughs> well, uh, well, for them, apparently, <laughs> apparently it is. Apparently it is, but for us, it's a good and thing. And it's kind of an amazing thing, given that they control both houses of Congress and the White House. Nonetheless... Uh, that uh, that sort of summarizes what we'll be covering uh, a number of the issues, at least that we'll be covering today, including that House health care bill. Never mind it making it out of the Senate so far. In truth, it hasn't even made it out of the House. Yes, despite passing uh, by a slim, uh, well, as a four vote margin, they had basically just one to, one vote to spare. Um, after Republicans had jammed through their so-called American Health Care Act without a single Democratic vote in the House, and before the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office had even scored the bill, 
uh, well, they had to, to let the American public know that we're going to pass this thing through before the CBO can tell everybody what's actually in the bill and how it will affect the public. Now, the CBO scores for the previous two versions of the AHCA, the Affordable, no, the American Health Care Act, had found that the bill, um, if it was enacted as written, would result in some 24 million Americans losing their health coverage over the next 10 years, with 14 million losing their coverage next year alone. So little wonder that they really, really wanted to vote on this thing, on the amended version of the bill, before the CBO had time to score it, uh, since it could show that even more would lose their health care and uh, that it might not even meet the rules required for a vote in the U.S. Senate. I'll explain that in a little bit, but that's why they haven't even sent the bill over to the Senate yet. They're waiting on that CBO score, which, as we go to air, is being released, even as we speak. Our friend and health reform advocate Jackie Schechner is looking over that new score uh, as we go to air here. She will be joining us shortly with, uh, with the breaking news about it. In the meantime, as Jackie scours those pages, um, a few items of, of quick news note today. Um, heavily armed troops remain on the streets of Great Britain this afternoon, this evening, following British Prime Minister's and the British Prime Minister's announcement that the security level there had been raised yesterday from severe to critical. With a second attack believed to be possibly, quote, imminent following Monday's bombing at a pop concert in Manchester that killed 22 people, mostly young girls. According to AP, British security forces raided an apartment building on Wednesday in central Manchester as they investigated a network of people allegedly behind the city's concert bombing. Hundreds of soldiers were sent to secure sites across the country, including Buckingham Palace and Parliament. Home Secretary Amber Rudd said that the alleged bomber Salman Abedi likely, that's a quote, likely did not act alone when he killed 22 people and wounded scores at that uh, Ariana Grande concert on Monday night. Rudd is said uh, that uh, Abedi uh, is said to be known to security forces, quote, up to a point. So they sort of knew who he was. Maybe they didn't know too much about him. AP goes on to report that Abedi is a 22-year-old British citizen Born to Libyan parents who grew up around Manchester, uh, he's believed to have died in the attack. Meanwhile, in Libya, authorities arrested Abadi's father and a younger brother. The Libyan anti-terror force, so-called, that took the brother, uh, 18-year-old Hashim, into custody, said the teenager had confessed that both he and his brother were part of the Islamic State group and that Hashim Abadi had been aware of the details of the attack. The father, uh, in this case, Rob Ramadan Abadi, denied his son's involvement in an interview with the Associated Press on Wednesday, saying that, quote, we don't believe in killing innocents. Another man was taken into custody on Tuesday in Manchester. He's now been identified by Abadi's father as another son, 23-year-old Ismail, British police, meanwhile, arrested four additional suspects on Wednesday, and authorities were raiding properties thought to be connected to Abadi. No one, however, has yet been charged in the case, and authorities have not officially, in any event, identified uh, any suspects in the case.
Meanwhile, Donald Trump met the Pope at the Vatican today as he continued his nine days overseas tour. But back home, things continue to not go very well for him, as was evidenced not just by the uh, multiple ongoing official counterintelligence and criminal investigations of Trump campaign associates, but also now at the ballot box itself. Yes, it was Election Day on Tuesday for special elections in both New York and New Hampshire. And the results were very disappointing, I suspect, for Donald Trump and very encouraging for Democrats. Democrat uh, Christine Pellegrino defeated her Republican challenger in a New York state special election on Tuesday, just months after that district went very big for Donald Trump in the 2016 presidential race. Pellegrino. Uh, was a delegate for Senator Bernie Sanders, so this could also be good news for the Sanders wing of the Democratic Party. She was a delegate for Sanders during the uh, Democratic presidential primary. She defeated Republican challenger Thomas Garguillo in the District 9 State Assembly special election. So that was a, a state race, but it was in a district that went very big for Donald Trump. Some Democrats applauded the win on Twitter, warned Republicans that their unified control of the federal government is now at risk in the 2018 midterm elections. Meanwhile, in New Hampshire, more good news for Democrats. Democrat Edith Desmarais, and I, I apologize if that's, I don't know how, how you say her name, I think it's Desmarais, uh, also won a special election in the town of Wolfboro. She defeated Republican Matthew Planch. Pellegrino in New York will take the seat of Republican Joseph Saladino. He has served in that position since 2004, but he stepped down earlier this year after he was appointed uh, to the uh, to be the town supervisor of Oyster Bay. And that seat may have uh, I saw one report. I have been able to confirm it. But I, as I understand, is well, it's either that seat or the New Hampshire seat has never been in the hands of Democrats. I believe that that was the New Hampshire, New Hampshire seat, seat that was said to have been never in the hands of Democrats until now. But I think what, what should be pointed out as well about the win in the New York state race was that it's not just a win for the Sanders wing of the Democratic Party. It's also a win for engagement, voter engagement, people who are realizing, oh, Good people need to show up for office. And she's somebody who was a delegate and who decided to actually step up and run for office herself. So that's very encouraging, I think. Well, encouraging to you because you're in favor <laughs> of Democrats winning. Well, but, I'm in uh, favor of not insane climate change deniers winning. Well, there's that. So we got, I guess, two of them in this case now. Uh, in otherwise very, very Republican districts. David Neer over at Daily Coast reported it this way. He said on Tuesday night, Democrats flipped not one but two state legislative seats in special elections and both came in deep red territory. In New Hampshire, Democrat Edie Desmarais defeated uh, Republican Matthew Plosh by a 52 to 48 margin. Still pretty close, but better Still than nothing. Still pretty close, but a four-point, yeah, given that that had been a Republican district. Uh, and um, this was a seat that, that uh, in a district that Donald Trump had won, had won 51 to 44 last fall. So, yeah, she only won by four points, but it was in a district that Trump had won. Uh, by 13 points last week. So that's a pretty by, big jump uh, if you look at I, it that way. I can't do math. By seven points uh, last week. Yeah. Meanwhile, in New York Assembly's 9th District, Democrat Christine Pellegrino beat Thomas Garguillo 
58 to 42, even though Trump romped, romped, he says, to a 60 to 37 victory there in November. So let's uh, run that again. So the Democrat beat the Republican 58 to 42. That is what that is, 16 points, where Trump had won in November 60 to 37. My goodness. That's a big switch. Huge, a huge flip. He goes on to say this means that Desmarais moved the needle 11 points in the Democratic direction in uh, in New Hampshire, while in New York, Pellegrino did the same by an astounding 39 points, a 39-point flip. So, yeah, Democrats uh, ought to be uh, encouraged by that. Near goes on to write that while these are the first two seats to actually change hands since Trump's election uh, from Republican to Democrat, Democrats have consistently outperformed their 2016 presidential results in these special elections all across the country. Speaking of which, we got a big one coming up on uh, on Thursday in Montana. And where do I have my uh, notes here for that? Here we go. Um, yeah, this is um, well, this is going to uh, a lot of people are going to be watching this race a lot closer, particularly after what happened on Tuesday. But now Thursday in Montana, this is a special U.S. House election to fill the seat vacated by Trump's interior secretary, Ryan Zinke. It's Montana's one single at-large U.S. House seat. In other words, the population in Montana is only large enough to have a single uh, U.S. Congress member. So it will be a statewide election in a state that elected Trump last November by some 20 points. But remember, on the same day they elected Trump by uh, by 20 points, they also elected Democratic uh, an elect, uh, a Democratic governor, Steve Bullock, on that very same day. So Montana is very independent very they, purple. They can go any way at any time. Yeah. Um, the election will be held on Thursday. It's a Thursday election, please note, not a Tuesday election. It will be held on paper ballots, hand-marked paper ballots cast at the precinct. Now, the GOP-controlled state legislature there and the state election officials had called for a, an all-vote-by-mail election to save money. In Montana, they were all set to do that, uh, which would have sent out a, a, a ballot to everyone in the state, every eligible voter in the state of Montana. But that was blocked at the last second by the head of the state GOP, who feared that if everyone actually voted, if they were all sent ballots in Montana, that the Republican candidate would be in very big trouble. He might be right about that. Democratic candidate Rob Quist, a popular folk singer, spent last weekend barnstorming across the state of Montana with Bernie Sanders. Uh, he is not shying away from Bernie Sanders, as uh, as a number of uh, Democrats have done in uh, in recent months. And he's raised Quist has raised a whole lot of grassroots money. The National Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee finally put in several hundred thousands of dollars into the race as well for get out the vote uh, efforts and for TV ads. That money competes with uh, with big last minute dollars that are uh, that Republicans are now pouring into the state in favor of their establishment candidate, Greg Gianforte. He had lost, Gianforte lost in uh, in November. He was on the statewide ballot against the uh, uh, the Democratic uh, governor, Steve Bullock, 
but he lost in that case. Um, the Republican Gianforte is still thought to have the lead in this race, but only now by single digits or, quote, closer than it should be, according to GOP strategists quoted by Politico today. Um, that's particularly since Trump carried that state by 20 points last November. But Quist, who has raised some, it's amazing, some $6 million in this race, $1 million of it uh, just in the past week, all of it largely from small donors. His average uh, donation is $25. Uh, according to Democrats, he has a shot here. Uh, Politico quotes John Lapp, who led the DCCC, uh, during the 2006 cycle as saying, quote, the fact that we're talking about Montana, a super red seat, which Zinke had won by huge numbers uh, before he moved on to become the uh, interior secretary. The fact that we're even talking about Montana, a super red seat is amazing. Lapp says it's also amazing how much money Republicans have to pour into these seats to defend them. He says it's still a steep climb in Montana, but we know that the reaction there means that there's a tremendous amount of Democratic energy across the country. In Quist's closing ad, by the way, he targeted the House Republicans' health care bill, which we'll talk about in a moment, describing it as, quote, devastating to Montana. That was his closing argument in this uh, in this race in Montana before before folks head to the polls on Thursday and uh, coming up next month. But I want to note this here, Georgia's special election runoff for the U.S. House in the 6th District, a suburb just north of Atlanta. Uh, that race will be on June 20. It will not, however, be held on hand-marked paper ballots other than by those who vote uh, via absentee, uh, via mail-in absentee ballots, there will be no paper at all in that race. No way to verify that a single vote cast on the state's touchscreen systems, which are still shamefully forced on voters at the polls uh, all across the state, despite these systems being shown to be hackable by uh, outsiders and insiders alike and simply failing as they did during the uh, primary race back in, in, uh, in April. They fail time and time again. Uh, in, in any event, uh, that uh, those machines are once again going to be used in Georgia on June 20. And the reason I mention it here is because there is a new poll out in Georgia. And since the votes will be 100 percent unverifiable, at least the ones that are cast at the polling place on Election Day, the only way we can have, a, you know, oversee this race at all to some extent is by keeping an eye on what the pre-election polls say. Well, this poll um, that just came out from a survey USA this week is amazing. Democrat John Ossoff is seven points ahead of Republican Karen Handel in the race for Georgia's 6th congressional district seat. That, according to Survey USA, 51% of likely and actual voters in Georgia say they'd vote for the Democrat Ossoff if the election were held today. And 44% say they would vote for Handel, the former Secretary of State. John Ossoff, uh, like Rob Quist, up in Montana, up in Montana, is a first-time um, candidate. Uh, but he won in the runoff by huge numbers, but not enough to get more than 50%. He was, I think it was 48.6%. Uh, not enough to get the 50% that he would have needed to avoid this runoff. Meantime, Karen Handel. Uh, who had been the uh, Secretary of State in Georgia overseeing 
these 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems. Uh, she got about 18% in that uh, primary, but there was a whole bunch of Republicans running. So the Republicans are hoping to rally behind Handel, but so far... Uh, Ossoff, who had only pretty much been in a dead heat with Handel a couple of weeks ago, is now said to be up by seven points. And that race in particular is a uh, potential bellwether for how uh, Trump might uh, and the Republicans might uh, be affected by the 2018 midterm elections. Trump had won that district by one and a half points back in November in Georgia even though it is uh, typically a very strong Republican seat. Uh, the seat, uh, the U.S. House seat being filled there was uh, formerly held by Republican Tom Price. He won by more than 20 points in November, but he's now the Trump's Secretary of Health and Human Services, overseeing whatever the Republican health care plan will or won't be, which we'll get to very momentarily. By the way, Ossoff's race with Handel is the most expensive in House history history. Outside groups have poured more than $18 million into this one single U.S. House race. All eyes will be on that, no doubt, in June, as Democrats are casting that as a referendum on uh, Trump's presidency, aiming to pick up a House seat once thought, once thought, no more, but once thought to be uh, safely in Republican hands. Uh, by the way, and I, I'm sure we'll get to it uh, a bit more in the future. I don't have time now. i got to get to Jackie Schechner. Um, but uh, Voter GA, uh, who um, we had the uh, founder of Voter GA on a few weeks ago, Garland Favorito, they have put out a notice. It's a nonpartisan election integrity watchdog organization. They have put out a notice encouraging people to vote in Georgia's 6th District by absentee ballot. They say the lowest risk uh, way to cast your vote, given the 100 percent unverifiable voting equipment used on Election Day in Georgia, is to apply for an absentee ballot, vote at home, deliver the ballot to the county office in person. You can't take it to your precinct, apparently. You need to bring it to the county office, but get an absentee paper ballot and deliver it in person to the county office. Second highest risk, they say, is to get that uh, absentee ballot and mail it uh, at home. Mail the ballot uh, to the country, uh, to the county office at least two business days before the election. Not earlier, however, uh, because uh, th that means that it can get lost uh, in the mail. It's easier to tamper. So they say about two or three days before the election, send it in if you can't deliver it in person to the county office. Other than that, you can vote on Election Day at the 100 percent unverifiable polling machines. Regardless, right. vote. Yep. <laughs> Either way, if you're in the Georgia 6th District, vote. Vote, vote yes. however you can for whoever you can. All right, quick break. We're back with the breaking news out of the Congressional Budget Office, which has finally scored the Republican health care bill that Republicans passed three weeks ago before the CBO could come in with that score. We'll find out what that says and much more. Maybe we'll have time to talk about some Democrats and what they're doing regarding health care with Jackie Schechner next. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. 
but we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Oh, we love Jackie Schechner. She'll be with us uh, in mere seconds. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Despite the huge celebration, you you may remember this, on the White House lawn with Republicans patting themselves on the back for passing a health care insurance bill in the U.S. House three weeks ago. Despite that huge celebration uh, after passing that bill, uh, they never actually sent it to the U.S. Senate thereafter. Uh, that was a, a bill that the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office had found in an earlier form would take away health care coverage from some 24 million Americans over the next decade, 14 million next year alone. You recall that the uh, AHCA, as they call it, the American Health Care Act, finally passed out of the House with only, only Republican votes. And despite their huge vote advantage there, it passed with just one vote to spare. And uh, even though they partied at the White House before that bill was even taken up by the Senate, uh, where it faces much longer odds, the fact is Speaker of the House Paul Ryan never actually sent the bill over to the Senate in the in the three weeks since it passed the House. Why? Well, because the House had voted on its bill before the bill was scored by the nonpartisan CBO. And that's important not only because it would tell legislators and the public how many were likely to lose their health care thanks to this Republican plan to repeal and replace Obamacare, but also because Republicans hope to pass the bill in the Senate under special rules, uh, under so-called reconciliation rules that allows them to to sort of jam it through with a bare majority of votes rather than the 60 votes that would normally be required to over uh, to overcome a filibuster. But to pass a bill via reconciliation in the Senate, the bill has to meet certain criteria. For example, it must only deal largely with budgeting issues that save the country more than $2 billion overall. Now, the first scored version of the AHCA was said to cut the deficit by some $300 billion. Then they did a second amended version that uh, they also didn't vote on that would uh, the CBO said would save taxpayers about $150 billion. And yet it was unknown until today's scoring of the version of the AHCA that actually passed finally by Republicans. It was unknown how much the CBO would find that bill to uh, to save for taxpayers, at least as far as tax money goes. If it doesn't save more than two billion dollars, the bill would then have to be restructured and voted on again by the U- Republicans in the U.S. House before it could be passed to the Senate. So that's why 
Paul Ryan had been holding on to it for three weeks. Uh, that and his concern about what the CBO would say concerning how many would uh, lose their health care due to this bill. Well, the, the new CBO score is now finally out. Our friend Jackie Schechner, uh, who has been waiting for it all day, she has been now poring over it since its release within the past hour to find out what the CBO has found. Jackie is a longtime journalist, formerly at CNN and Current TV. She also worked in D.C. as the National Communications Director for Health Care for America Now, the nation's largest health care reform campaign. This was back in 2010, 2009, 2010, when uh, the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, was passed. Hey, Jackie Schechner, welcome back to the broadcast. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you for being had. The uh, <laughs> two. It actually sounds like the rest of the country is being had. Uh, well, with the American Health Care Act. Well, maybe so. I haven't even gotten to read this thing. You've got to uh, read at least part of it, part of their score now. Uh, there are two big tests, I think. One, uh, sort of the technical test of whether it, uh, the bill can legally be sent over to the House, uh, to the Senate to be voted on under reconciliation. And then the political ramifications about uh, how much it's going to cost uh, Americans losing health care. So let's start with the technical test first. I mentioned that uh, if it does not decrease the deficit by more than $2 billion, it can't be passed under reconciliation. What does the CBO say about, uh, about the, the bill that finally passed in the U.S. House? Yeah, it meets the numbers by a lot, okay. um, so there's no concern there. The, the question is, I know it has to be broken out mm-hmm. by the two committees, the Senate uh, Health Committee and the Finance Committee, mm-hmm. and I did see some questioning as to whether or not it does, in fact, meet those standards. I think it does. I'm okay. not as financially inclined with this, mm-hmm. but by all accounts of what I've read and heard, that it does meet the standards it needs to in order to move forward in the Senate under reconciliation. So in theory, they don't... Unless something... Yeah, yeah, in in theory, they they can go ahead with this if they were going to. Um, I haven't seen anything definitive otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, I I wouldn't put it past there's something to be looked into a little bit deeper in the next 24 hours, but Mm -hmm. from what I can tell preliminarily, it does seem to meet the standards. Well, Paul Ryan should be uh, uh, breathing a sigh of relief, I suspect, that they don't have to try to vote for this thing again, at least until it comes back from the Senate when they actually do have to reconcile it. So uh, barring any other uh, uh, news between now and and then, it looks like it will now go over to the Senate. That's good news for Republicans. Uh, And uh, as good news for Republicans on what the cost to actual Americans and their health care will be. The last bill was uh, 24 million. We're going to lose our health care over the next decade, 14 million in the next year alone. What does the CBO say about this version that actually passed the House? Well, this version is 23 million. So I think the number that people need to pay attention to is that by the year 2026, it's going to be 51 million Americans under the age of 65 who will not have health insurance. I think that's where we need to be. That's the number that we need to be paying the most attention to. So versus it was 24 in the last version, Mm -hmm. it's 23 in this version, but still overall by 2026, an estimated 51 million people will be uninsured. And that's that's an unacceptable number. Well, it's obviously it's unacceptable, but uh, had the Affordable Care Act stayed in place, and so far I should add it is still in place, and the number wouldn't be 51 million uninsured by 2026. It would be something like half that, right? 
Right, it would be $28 million. yeah. But, you know, I mean, I think what's important about this, this law and, mm-hmm. and people need to pay attention to is that the law allows for insurance companies to charge older people a lot more than younger people. It allows the insurance companies to go back to a time where pre-existing conditions make it unaffordable for you to get health insurance or for insurance companies to deny you access to care altogether. It brings us back to a time where insurance companies, you hit a lifetime cap, mm-hmm. and insurance companies can, can no longer have to cover you, right? There's all of these things that happened before the Affordable Care Act was passed that really made health insurance unattainable for people who didn't get it through their job. And this bill, the, the American Health Care Act, returns us to that time in the name of allegedly saving money. Now, you look at what the CBO talks about in this report and in mm-hmm. the summary of it as well, mm-hmm. is that, yeah, premiums over time, they're going to go up for the next couple of years, and then they may go down. But the reason why premiums may go down for younger, healthier people is because the plans will be skimpier. You're going to end up having insurance companies offer people plans that don't cover anything. And that's so because again, we're at a. Po- I'm the, sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, and 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 that is because one of the amendments that was made to the Republican bill in order to pass it was to do away with that uh, those so-called essential benefits essential that Obama, benefits. The, the Affordable Care Act, uh, had required from every policy that was sold in America. Right. I mean, it's it, it's such a complicated process, but people. I mean, it's it's very basic when you break it down. When we had the insurance companies doing whatever they wanted before the Affordable Care Act, Mm -hmm. one of the things that they would do is offer people plans with lower premiums that didn't cover anything. And it wasn't until you had to use your health insurance or you got sick or had an accident that you found out what your insurance did or didn't cover. Mm -hmm. Then the Affordable Care Act came around and they said, okay, if you're going to offer an insurance plan, we're going to have some mandates that say you have to cover some basic essential health benefits. And that's standardized plans. Now, in the process of doing that, yes, some people lost their health insurance plans because they lost the crappy coverage they had. Mm-hmm. And so we, it was really for the benefit of the, of the good of the people who had this insurance, but people didn't know it because they'd never used their insurance before, and all they saw were that premiums went up. Now we're going back to a time where we're saying those things don't have to be covered anymore, so there may be a drop in insurance premiums, but we're back to a time where people are going to go to use their insurance and find out they're not covered, which means their out-of-pocket costs are going to be a lot higher. They're going to face bankruptcy like they did before the Affordable Care Act, and people are going to end up wishing they had those essential health benefits because under the Affordable Care Act, they're covered for things that the American Health Care Act won't, won't cover. So it's, it's, it's taking people back to a time where they have less protection uh, than they have now, and that's what's going to happen. That's the only thing that would bring premiums down is offering skimpier coverage. Uh, and I, uh, I love when uh, Republicans say, well, this will allow people to buy, you know, uh, only policies that they need. Uh, you have know, no idea what you exactly. need. Exactly. I mean, healthcare. Yes. I don't have cancer, so I don't need a policy that covers cancer because I don't have it. So uh, can I save some money and buy a, a, a policy that doesn't cover cancer? Well, I guess under this new version, I guess I, I probably could if I wanted to, but it's, it's insane. The other thing Republicans say, Jackie Schechner, is um, they say, they claim, and I'd love you to speak to this, they claim that uh, Republicans say that pre-existing conditions will still be covered. They went to great ends to say that over and over again. Donald Trump said it. 
uh, preconditions, pre-existing conditions will still be covered under the American Health Care Act. What's your response? Okay. <laughs> Here's the catch in this one. You can say that they have to cover pre, they have to offer health insurance to people with pre-existing conditions, mm-hmm. right? But if you make it cost prohibitive, it doesn't matter. So you can say that insurance companies have to, let's say I have a pre-existing condition, and you say insurance companies have to offer me health insurance. Mm-hmm. But they get rid of the rule that says they have to cover, they have to offer everybody insurance at the same rate. Right. So they can offer me health insurance for my pre-existing condition, but it can be so cost prohibitive that I can't afford it. So it's it's like saying, mm-hmm. you know, you you have every right to buy that mansion. Right. Well, that's great, but I can't if I can't afford that mansion. <laughs> right. What good does that do me? Right. So that's what it's like. It's it's it, the law does not. It gets rid of community rating, which means that the insurance companies have to charge everybody the same. You can't right. charge older people younger uh, more than than um, or healthier versus sick people. Healthier, I'm right. sorry, healthier yeah. people more than six, less than sick people. Right. Um. And and it does have a provision that says that you can charge older people only three times more mm-hmm. than younger people. Right. It, it puts a cap on that. So what this law says is that. You know, everybody has to have access to health insurance, but access is not affordability. And when you get rid of community rating, you say the insurance companies can charge people whatever they want. And that makes it unaffordable and inaccessible for people with pre-existing conditions. There's two other things I want to bring up really yeah. quickly. One is that the insurance companies themselves define what pre-existing conditions are. There is no standard master list. Mm-hmm. So you may think you're healthy. You may think that you don't have a pre-existing condition, but you go to buy insurance on the individual market, and the insurance companies go through your medical history, and they can decide that there's something in your medical history that qualifies as a pre-existing condition, and you have no idea what that's going to be because they themselves define it. That's the first thing. The second thing is you're going to hear a lot of Republicans defending the American Health Care Act by saying it's only one part of a three-pronged plan. I have to point out, there are no parts two and three. (laughs) They're, they have not been written. There is no there is no second or third prong. This is some fantasy that they've concocted to help themselves. So I just need people to pay attention to that. That when you start to hear Trump and his friends talk about how there's there's only this is only one part of a three prong plan. Mm-hmm. Nobody's seen these parts two and three because they don't exist. And, and the, that's something that that your listeners really need to keep in mind. And the other thing that Republicans say is that uh, the bill itself is going to implode. Donald Trump's been saying, "Oh, it's dead. It's it's a disaster." Uh, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, it's imploding. Um, and in fact, we have a report uh, today. Uh, in where is this? In Kansas City, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Kansas City, a nonprofit insurer, announced that it would not offer coverage under the uh, Affordable Care Act for 2018. They lost more than 100 million dollars in 2016 selling individual policies under the law, according to their uh, according to their CEO, who said that uh, this is unsustainable. And uh, she says we have a responsibility to our members and the greater community to remain stable and secure. And the uncertain direction of the market is a barrier to our continued participation. Well, that's what Republicans are saying, that uh, Obamacare is imploding on its own. Uh, What's your response to that? Okay. well, insurance companies don't have a responsibility to their members. They legally have a responsibility to their shareholders. Mm -hmm. So she needs to be a little more aware of that. I'd also like to know what the CEO makes in compensation. Mm. Um, I, I, I think that um, when insurance companies cry poverty, it, it's comical because they're, they're making plenty of money. 
the instability that they're claiming now is actually coming from the Trump administration, and it's coming from the lack of, of stability being caused by this administration and by congressional Republicans. Because and, and and there's proof of that, right? Mm-hmm. The insurance companies are saying that they they can't they can't guarantee what they they're going to get in the coming years because they don't know what's going to happen with healthcare reform. So they're pulling out to defend themselves against the instability that's being created by the Trump administration. Um, and I think something else that you need to keep in mind is that monopolies and these these marketplaces where there's only like one or two big health insurers mm-hmm. existed long before the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the reasons why we needed the Affordable Care Act, is because the insurance companies have monopolies in most states. Uh, the markets are considered highly concentrated uh, by monopoly standards in almost every state. So this, is, this predates the Affordable Care Act. It's part of the reason why we needed a public option in the mix, that we force insurance companies to compete uh, not to see what the market will bear, but to compete for your actual business. And, and when they have a monopoly, they don't have to do that. And I also want to underscore, uh, the Republicans gutted a section of the Affordable Care Act, um, I think Marco Rubio led the way, that would have, yeah. I, as I understand it, taken care of something like this, because they knew that in some locations, you know, insurers will make more money or less money, depending on, uh, you know, the health of the population, how rural it is, and so forth. And so they knew that some insurers were going to lose money, they put in something called a risk corridor uh, into the uh, into the initial bill that uh, would basically for those companies who were making money, they'd they'd have to put a little bit into the pot so that other companies who were losing money in other areas would get some of that money to cover their losses as the market you know figured itself out and sort of stabilized. Right. But Republicans gutted that, as I understand right. it. it was- yeah, it was a concerted effort to help stabilize the market all around. I mean, it's it, it, it's really the difference between money and compassion, mm-hmm. right? And you're looking at the GOP and the way that they've passed this monstrosity of a bill is looking at dollar signs and finance, but not taking into account the impact any of this will actually have on people's lives. And the Affordable Care Act did the best it could at the time to try to expand access to coverage uh, and to make coverage as affordable as it could. Um, if you look now at what this uh, the AHCA will do, uh, if you dig into some of the details, mm-hmm. the it, it's going to to wreak havoc on older, sicker Americans. Um, and unfortunately, we're all going to be older and sicker at some point in our lives. Um, so it it takes the 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 poorest and and the most in need of medical care. And, and strips them of benefits, and it also strips them of help paying for their premiums. Now, be, beyond, um, oh, I'm sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I want to say no, be, no. beyond moving to the uh, to a, a single payer system, and I want to talk to you about that because Dem- Democrats, a lot of Democrats uh, in the House now have a plan for that. So we're going to get to that in the moment. But beyond uh, that. There are ways, are there not, Jackie, that this bill, uh, that that the Affordable Care Act could be fixed, could be shored up so that we didn't have the various problems that we've we've discussed here uh, without gutting the entire thing uh, root and branch, as uh, Mitch McConnell likes to say. This could be fixed, cor- correct? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's. That's the, the Republicans are like, well, Democrats should come to the table and they should they should offer solutions and they should help. But the two sides are so far apart that the Republicans had no interest in working with the Democrats on the Affordable Care Act in the first place. They claim that they were left out of the process. I remember specifically that they were very much included 
President Obama made several attempts at yep. outreach. I remember a full-day summit where they sat down and had conversations. Mm-hmm. It was all televised. Uh, and I know because I watched the whole thing, and it's mm-hmm. I remember it. Um, and and, and yeah. things were changed in committee for Republicans. The Republicans Correct. fought for changes, and then not a single one of them voted for it in the Senate. So let me ask you, Jackie, Absolutely. in the Senate, that's where the bill now goes. And I can't tell. Well, as I understand it, Republicans are working by themselves without any Democrats. There's a it's an all male 13 senator working group trying to start from scratch to to make a completely new bill in the Senate. All white men, um, all uh, without the help of policy experts, of uh, medical experts, of people who actually know how the health care system works. I mean, that's what's so astonishing to me about this process in general. I mean, when, when we were crafting the Affordable Care Act, I mean, there was the input of not only health care policy experts, but people who actually participate in the health care system. This is being done by politicians uh, without the input or the insight of people who participate in the health care system on a regular basis and know how it works. So what I think is important is that we take a step back and we take the politics out of this. And we start to focus on the policy of what it is we're trying to do. And what we're trying to do is get people in this country access to health care and to make it affordable. And and that's where the the policy specifics uh, need to come into play. And that's not going to happen if you've got a bunch of, you know, 13 white men who are crafting this behind closed doors who have no experience in health care policy. Well, it's not going to happen at all, frankly. I mean, because health care has become so tied up with politics, obviously. Uh, that that's not going to happen at all. And, uh, you know, and I wonder, I mean, I don't know if the Senate, the U.S. Senate, can even get a uh, a bill passed, even under reconciliation, which would allow them to pass it with, you know, just 51 votes. But even if they do, Jackie Schechner, are, uh, that bill then has to go back to the U.S. House. I, I mean, do you see any plausible way that a Republican health care bill can actually get passed uh, any time? No, uh, at no, this point? I don't see a No, I don't see a pass forward. You were you were asking earlier what it is we could do with the Affordable Care Act to make it better. Mm-hmm. You could introduce a public option into the mix. Right. That would help to regulate the insurance industry a little bit to help force them to justify their pricing. And so that's there, one thing we could do. And, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say, is there any chance of that happening uh, either with Republicans? But you know what? Let me use that to launch into uh, the Democrats and what they are doing in response here. Uh, because they, at least a whole bunch of them, now have a single-payer bill that is gaining a lot of momentum in the U.S. House. So let me take a quick break here uh, with Jackie Schechner. We'll come back and pick it up there with the Democrats and see if they can get their act together because there is also a split uh, on that point among Democrats. So uh, we'll talk with Jackie uh, Schechner in a moment. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. 
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com covering the breaking news of the Congressional Budget Office, which has now come out with its score of the Republican American Health Care Act that passed in the House three weeks ago without a score. Uh, it looks like it will technically, we think, be able to go now on to the U.S. Senate. Um, according to the uh, the numbers coming out from the CBO, but it will also result in some 23 million Americans losing their health care over the next decade. And uh, as I understand it from my guest, uh, Jackie Schechner, 14 million of those Americans will lose their health care within the next year alone. According to this CBO score, no wonder the Republicans in the House wanted to vote on it before this uh, before this came out. Uh, Jackie Schechner, um, Democrats have their own problems on the other side of this issue. Uh, but as of late April, uh, Common Dreams had reported at the time that a record 104 and that may be uh, there may be more now. I'm not sure, but 104 Democrats have signed on to co-sponsor a Medicare for All bill in the U.S. House. The bill is H.R. 676. It's known as the Expanded and Improved Medicare for All Act. It was introduced uh, in Congress by uh, Congressman John Conyers from Michigan. He's been introducing a version of this bill now for years, and it has received the support of more than half of the Democratic caucus for the first time in history. This is a record for the party. So, uh, what of that, Jackie Schechner? Is that a way to fix the Affordable Care Act? Health care for all, Medicare for all. You know, when I first started in this years and years ago, I was really skeptical of single payer mm -hmm. because I didn't really understand uh, what it meant. And I was coming from a place of uh, not being well steeped in health care policy. And I was just like everybody else where it frightened me, right? The idea of a national health care system frightened me. The more I learned about healthcare policy over the years and the more I learn about how our healthcare system works, the more evident it becomes that we do need some variation of a single payer system. However, <laughs> and this is uh -oh. the big caveat. Okay. Until we get money out of politics, yeah. it's not going to happen because we have too much money that's tied up in our political system. Mm -hmm. I love the momentum. I love that more and more Democrats are on board. I love that we can get some momentum in the House, and if we can take over the House and the Senate, that we'll be well-poised to pitch something like that. But I just, having seen how the sausage is made and seeing how money impacts the way people vote, uh, both in the House and the Senate, I I'm afraid of that wholesale change uh, being an actual uh, tenable goal. And so I, I think what we need to do is keep up the drumbeat of making change that will really work for people. I think that's important. But I think we also need to keep in mind what's reasonable and feasible in our current political state and climate. Um, and by current, I mean what will come even if the Democrats take over. Well, so I think that we need to focus on things like introducing a public option, introducing more insurance regulation, uh, getting to the point where the insurance companies truly have to compete uh, and to see what bears out of that. Well, and we hopefully will get to single payer at some point. But I don't think we can do it wholesale because you end up putting the medical industrial complex out of business. And I don't I don't think in in our capitalistic society you can do. No, that. you end up putting the health insurance, uh, the private health insurance companies out of business. And actually, they're not even out of business. They can sell supplemental care. 
uh, to those who aren't happy with a single payer system. But yes, I agree, of course, that politics is the art of the possible. That said, Jackie, you sound a lot like uh, Hillary Clinton, who said the same thing. (laughs) Oh, I I love it, but we can't do it. Nancy Pelosi uh, is is taking uh, no small amount of heat right now because she's currently not one of the uh, co-sponsors of John Conyers' H.R. 676 Medicare for All bill, even though she has said in the past, hey, I'm in favor of uh, single payer, but maybe at the state level, not at the federal level, she has said. And there is, in fact, out here in California, an effort in the state assembly to move a a California bill forward. So maybe we'll learn uh, from that. But, you know, I'd love to see that, by the way. I would love to see a statewide effort. It's going to be expensive. I just thought it was you know, it's not going to be a cheap effort. I think it was like $400 billion or something like that. I would love eh. to see it on the state level and see if we can replicate that nationwide. And there are, there, are, there, are questions about, there are questions about those numbers as well. As a matter of fact, if we could use the Affordable Care Act uh, money that comes into California for single payer, it might make that more uh, uh, tenable. But mm-hmm. I guess my point is um, I, I hear what you're saying uh, as far as what's possible and what's not possible, but if you look at what happened, if you look at the split right now in the Democratic Party, there is still a huge split in the party, and it's some uh, being somewhat obscured by the crazy guy in the White House right now. But there is a split between sort of the, let's call them the Bernie-crats and the Hillary Democrats, and Bernie is out there on the stump. You know, we, we talked in the first segment about Rob Quist, this uh, special election in Montana this week. He's out there making the case for universal health care. Is it not something that Democrats need to show why they are different than Republicans as they had into 2018? Is it not a smart idea for them to begin at least talking about this? Yes, Republicans may not like it, but a majority of Americans like the idea of single payer. We find this in poll after poll, even if they can't get it done. Shouldn't Democrats begin running on that whether they can get it done right now or not so we know what that so that there's a difference between uh, who they're voting for in 2018 i don't know i mean it's a look i mean in a in a perfect world yeah i mean i would love to see that i would love to see that swing finally happen and for us to be able to get there i just i i'm hesitant because we're in the we're in the realm of people who pay attention to politics and who know how these things work and i think about the uh, you know, everyday Americans who aren't focused on the details of this, who are just worried about kind of getting food on the table and getting their kids to school and making it to work on time, and they hear something like single payer and they think nationalized health care, national health care system, bureaucracy, waiting in line. I mean, it's one of the reasons why people didn't understand the difference between the Affordable Care Act. They didn't understand, rather, the Affordable Care Act and Obamacare are the same thing, Mm -hmm. because they heard Obamacare and automatically had this idea of a big, giant government bureaucracy and decided they hated it. And then when they found out that it was the same thing as the Affordable Care Act, now the Affordable Care Act is more popular than it's ever been. But it was because you had the Republicans going out and claiming this was a national takeover of health care. They're going to do that. Look, bad guy's going to be bad. They still do that. Yeah. Right. They still do that. They're going to do it anyway. I don't think the messaging can overcome that. I just don't think that you can convince um, you can convince people who don't understand how healthcare works that everybody is going to get put into the same. Like they don't understand that it's a single payer, not a single provider. Right. I don't. I don't think people get that nuance, and I think it's harder to explain that to people than you think. Uh, the status quo is very powerful. One attack ad can derail 
an entire plan. And so I think that if you're going to be realistic about how far we can get, I think we continue to rack up support. I think we continue to put the pressure on. But I think we, we need to acknowledge it's going to take some time and longer than, than we might want it to take. I think it will. Get there. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I do think it's going to take some time. But I think you start by, uh, you know, your opening bid uh, being what you actually want and compromise later. I mean, we saw, and I think, well, Jackie, (laughs) you and I have talked about this, I think, in the past, that had the Democrats come out and pushed for single payer, the compromise... never would have gotten anywhere. Well, no. Well, no. would have come to the table. Well, I would say that the compromise position would have been the public option. But instead, they sort of talked about the public option a little bit, uh, and therefore the, uh, the compromise position was, all right, well, let's just pass anything we can, and all the money instead uh, will go to the profitized uh, uh, health insurance companies. I don't know. It, we, you know, we got to start somewhere, and I, I hope I don't unleash the uh, Bernie Bros on you, Jackie, because no, I think you're fantastic. I know. I, know. I, I really do. But, you know, people vote for stuff. They don't vote against uh, stuff. We, You know, there was a, a big campaign I heard last November against Donald Trump. You saw how that worked out. So right. I, I'm suggesting that going into 2018, rather than, you know, saying, hey, by the way, we told you Donald Trump sucks. He still sucks. Let's vote against him again. Uh, that uh, Democrats think about giving the American people something to vote for. And I don't yet know if the Democrats uh, have that. I'll uh, play Bill O'Reilly and give you the last word, Jackie Schechner. Well, if we had come out with single payer um, in the beginning when we started to negotiate for the Affordable Care Act or, you know, what became the Affordable Care Act, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't have gotten all of the stakeholders in the room in the first place. And one of the things that allowed us to, first of all, Obama didn't get elected on single payer. He got elected on the public option Mm -hmm. because what what he advertised for was a mix between public and private. Right. Um, and so that's what he got voted in on, and that was what he had proposed and what he advocated for. You ended up getting all the stakeholders to the table, and there were a lot of deals that were cut, one of them being that the pharmaceutical industry wasn't going to spend its millions and millions and millions of dollars fighting against health care reform. They neutralized the enemy. Um, they got the insurance company to at least pretend to play ball. Jackie, i got to get out in like 30 seconds, so uh, give me your best uh, shot there because i got to get out. Sorry about that. N- no, no, I'm just saying that I, I don't agree that if you come to the table with single payer that you get the public option. I think you come to the table with what is reasonable uh, in the moment and, and you negotiate from there. I just I think the single payer at the time was a non-starter. And unfortunately, I think today it probably still is, but we're getting closer. The so. debate the debate will continue even as we try to save ourselves from the American carnage of the Republicans' uh, plan to repeal and replace Obamacare. Jackie Schechner, always a delight speaking to you. Thank you for uh, figuring out the CBO report at the last minute like this. You can you can and should follow her on the Twitters at Jackie Schechner, and you can get more information at JackieSchechner.com. My thanks to my producer, Desi Doyen, today, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it for free at any time at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com, and you can find, follow, and share me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Bradblog. All right, that's it. We're out of here until we meet again. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.